I sometimes read uh, public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. And they were written a long time ago, uh, so they're usually uh, racist or sexist or bigoted. Uh, but in there somewhere and all that is a, a story, and that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read uh, works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist, but they might have adult language or adult situations. So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. Well, I'd hope I'd have something exciting to say here in the beginning, but I don't. Because I just recorded the last episode a few hours ago. Turns out, the person that's supposed to come over to my house tonight uh, is cheesed out of it. Real cheesy. He said that he's uh, got to put a second coat of paint on his window panes. So now I think he's just starting to make stuff up. So he's coming over tomorrow for us to have our Halloween night where we watch uh, the haunting of Hell House and whatever else. Uh, he said he was going to give me a reach around uh, as, uh, as, a, as a thank you and I'm sorry. So I look forward to that. It's been a while since I've seen any action. But uh, besides that, i got nothing else to report. I've spent all day in the house. I have uh, eaten chips and cheese. Uh, nachos or whatever. I just ate that for dinner, so that's disgusting. Every time I look at myself in the mirror, I'm growing more and more distasteful of uh, what I see. My weird putty-like face with a silly little haircut on top. It's weird. I look like a Muppet. A Muppet made out of silly putty. And that's pretty much it. I got nothing else. So, might as well just dive into the story. You ever, uh, you ever hear of Algernon Blackwood? Oh, I have. Uh, I actually like his stuff. Algernon Henry Blackwood uh, was born the 14th of March, 1869, and died the 10th of December, 1951. He was an English broadcasting narrator, a journalist, a novelist, and short story writer, and among the most prolific ghost story writers in the history of the genre. Uh, the literary critic... Uh, S.T. Joshi stated his work is more consistently materious materious well we're looking that one up Uh, meritorious uh, deserving reward or praise well wasted my time on that one than any weird writers except Dunsey's and that his uh, short story collection, Incredible Adventures, in 1914, may be the premier weird collection of this or any century. Uh, he doesn't have any drama in his life like uh, previous writers, though he does have a legacy. H.P. Lovecraft, a beloved racist, included Blackwood as one of his modern masters in the section of that name in supernatural horror and literature. Uh, Frank... Belknap Long's 1928 story Space Eaters alludes to Blackwood's fiction. Uh, Clark Ashton Smith's story Genius Loki 1933 was inspired by Blackwood's story The Transfer. 
Uh, the plot of Caitlin R. Kiernan's novel Threshold 2001 is influenced by Blackwood's work. Uh, in, the, uh, in the PS4 game Until Dawn, the main setting is named Blackwood Pines, as the main antagonist is a Wendigo. So, with that, let's dive into our story. The Empty House by Algernon Blackwood Certain houses, like certain persons, manage somehow to proclaim at once their character for evil. In the case of the latter, no particular feature need betray them. They may boast an open countenance and an ingenuous smile, and, and yet little of their company leaves the unalterable conviction that there is something radically amiss uh, with their being, that they are evil. Willy-nilly! Ah, they seem to communicate an atmosphere of secret and wicked thoughts, which makes those there in their immediate neighborhood shrink from them, as from a thing diseased. And perhaps, with houses, the same principle is operative, and it is the aroma of evil deeds committed under a particular roof long after the actual doers have passed away. What makes the goose flesh come and the hair rise, something of the original passion of the evildoer, and of the horror felt by his victim, enters the heart of the innocent watcher, and he becomes uh, suddenly conscious of tingling nerves, creeping skin, and chilling of the blood. He is terror-stricken, without apparent cause. There was manifestly nothing in the external appearance of this particular house to bear out the tales of horror that was said to reign within. It was neither uh, lonely nor unkempt. It stood crowded into one corner of the square and looked exactly like the house's uh, on either side of it. And uh, it had the same number of windows as its neighbors, the uh, same balcony overlooking the gardens, the uh, same white steps leading up to the heavy black front door, and uh, in the rear there uh, was the same narrow strip of green with neat box borders running up the wall that divided it from the backs of the adjoining houses. Apparently, too, the number of chimney pots on the roof was the same. Uh, the breadth an angle of the eaves, and even the height of the dirty area railings. Yet this house in the square that seemed precisely similar to the 50 ugly neighbors was a matter of fact entirely different, horribly different. Wherein lay this marked, invisible difference is it's impossible to say it cannot be ascribed wholly to the imagination, because persons who had spent some time in the house, knowing uh, nothing of the facts, had declared positively that certain rooms were so disagreeable it would rather die than to enter them again, and that the atmosphere of the whole house produced uh, in them symptoms of genuine terror, while the series of innocent tenants who had tried to live in it and had been forced to decamp at the shortest possible notice was indeed a little less than a scandal in the town. When Shorthouse arrived to pay a, quote, weekend visit to his Aunt Julia in her little house on the seafront uh, at the other end of town, and found her charged to the brim with mystery, oh, and excitement. He had only uh, received her telegram that morning, and he had come uh, anticipating boredom, but the moment he touched her hand and kissed her apple-skin wrinkled cheek, he caught the first wave of her electrical condition. Oh, the immediate impression deepened when he learned that there were to be no other visitors, and that he had been telegraphed uh, for with a very special object. Something was in the wind, and that something would doubtless bear fruit. For this elderly spinster aunt, with a mania for psychical research, 
had brains as well as willpower. And hooker by crook, she usually managed to accomplish her ends. The revelation was made soon after tea, uh, when she sidled up close to him as they paced slowly along the seafront of the dark. Uh, I got the keys, she announced in a delighted yet half-awesome voice. I got them till Monday. The keys of bathing machine, or... He asked innocently, looking from the sea to the town. Nothing brought her so quickly to the point as feigning stupidity. Neither, she whispered. I got the keys of the haunted house in the square, and I'm going there tonight. The short house was conscious of the slightest possible tremor down his back. He dropped his teasing tone. Something in her voice and manner thrilled him. She was in earnest. She can't go alone, he began. That's why I wired you, she said with decision. He turned to look at her, the ugly, lined, inanatical face, alive with excitement. Wow, ouch. There was the glow of genuine enthusiasm around it, like a halo. The eyes shone, and he caught another wave of her excitement. Uh, and a second tremor, more marked than the first, accompanied it. Uh, thanks, Aunt Julia, he said politely. Uh, thanks awfully. Uh, I should not dare to go quite alone, she went on, raising her voice. But with you, I should enjoy it immensely. You're afraid of nothing. Oh, I know. Oh, thanks so much, he said again. Uh, is anything likely to happen? Well, a great deal has happened, she whispered, though it's been most cleverly hushed up. Three tenants have come and gone in the last few months. Oh, and the house is said to be empty for good now. In spite of himself, Shorthouse became interested. His aunt was so very much in earnest. The house is very old indeed, she went on. And the story, oh, an unpleasant one, dates a long way back. It has to do with a murder committed by a jealous stableman who had come some affair with a servant in the house. One night, he managed to secret himself in the cellar. And when everyone was asleep, he crept upstairs to the servants' quarters and chased the girl down to the next landing. And before anyone could come to the rescue, threw her bodily over the banisters into the hall below. And the stableman was caught, I believe, and hanged for murder. It all happened a century ago, and I've not been able to get more details about the story. Burp. All I've had is coffee. Well, and nachos. Shorthouse now felt his interest thoroughly aroused, but though he was not particularly nervous for himself, he hesitated a little on his aunt's account. On one condition, he said at length. Uh, Nothing will prevent my going, she said firmly, but I may as well hear your condition. That you guarantee your power of self-control if anything really horrible happens. I mean, uh, that you're sure you won't get too frightened? Jim, she said scornfully. Oh, I'm not young, I know, nor my nerves, but, but with you in italics, it should, I should be afraid of nothing in the world. This, of course, settled it, for Shorthouse had no pretensions of being other than a very ordinary young man, and an appeal to his vanity was irresistible. Oh, he agreed to go. Instinctively, by a sort of subconscious preparation, he kept himself and his forces well in hand the whole evening, compelling an accumulative reserve of control by that nameless inward process of gradually putting all the emotions away and turning a key upon them, a process difficult to describe but wonderfully effective, as all men who have lived through severe trials of the inner man will understand. Later it stood him in a good stead. Stead whatever. 
but it was not until half past ten uh, when they stood in the hall, well in the glare of friendly lamps and still surrounded by comforting human influences, that he had to make the first call upon the store of collected strength. For once the door was closed, and he saw the deserted silent street stretching away white in the moonlight before them, it came to him clearly that the real test that night would be in dealing with two fears instead of one. He'd have to carry his aunt's fear as well as his own, and he glanced down at her sphinx-like countenance and realized that it might assume no pleasant aspect or a rush of real terror. He's satisfied only with one thing in the whole adventure, uh, that he had confidence in his own will and power to stand against any shock that might come. Slowly they walked uh, along empty streets of the town. A bright autumn moon uh, silvered the roofs, casting deep shadows. There was no breath of wind, and the trees in the formal gardens by the seafront watched them silently as they passed along. To his aunt's occasional remarks, Shorthouse made no reply, uh, realizing she was simply surrounding herself with mental buffers, saying uh, ordinary things to prevent herself thinking extraordinary things. A few windows showed lights, and from scarcely a single chimney came smoke or sparks. Really? Sparks come up? Seems dangerous. Shorthouse had already begun to notice everything, even the smallest details. Presently they stopped at the street corner and looked up at the name on the side of the house, full in the moonlight, and with one accord, without remark, turned into the square and crossed over to the side that lay in shadow. The number of the house is thirteen, whispered a voice at his side. Neither of them made the obvious reference, but passed across the broad sheet of moonlight and began to march up the pavement in silence. It was about uh, halfway up the square that Shorthouse felt an arm slipped quietly but significantly into his own, and he knew then that their adventure had begun in earnest, and that his companion was already yielding imperceptibly to the influences against them. She needed support. A few minutes later, uh, they stopped before a tall, narrow house, that rose before them in the night, ugly in shape and painted in dingy white, shutterless windows, yeah, without blinds, yeah, stared down upon them, yeah, shining here and there in the moonlight. There were well, weather streaks in the wall and, and cracks in the paint, and the balcony bulged out yeah, for the first floor a little unnaturally. But beyond this generally forlorn appearance of an unoccupied house, there was nothing at first to single out this particular mansion for the evil character it had most certainly acquired. Taking a look uh, over their shoulders to make sure they had not been followed, they went boldly up the steps and stood against the huge black door that fronted them forbiddingly. But the first wave of nervousness was now upon them, and Shorthouse fumbled a long time with the key before he could uh, fit into the lock at all. For a moment, if truth were told, they both hoped it would not open, for they were a prey to various unpleasant emotions as they stood there on the threshold of the ghostly adventure. Shorthouse, shuffling with the key and hampered by the steady weight on his arm, certainly felt the solemnity of the moment. It was as if uh, the whole world, for all experience, seemed at that instant concentrated on his own consciousness, were listening uh, to the grating noise of that key. A stray, a stray puff of wind wandered down the empty street and woke a momentary rustling in the trees behind him. But otherwise, uh, this rattling of the key was the only sound audible, and at last it turned in the lock and the heavy door swung open and revealed a yawning gulf of darkness beyond. With a last glance at the moonlit square, they passed quickly in. 
and the doors slammed behind them with a, with a roar that echoed prodigiously through the empty halls, passages, evidently the echoes. Uh, another sound made itself heard, and Aunt Julia leaned suddenly so heavily upon him that he uh, had to take a step backwards to save himself from falling. She's a heavy little tiny lady. A man had coughed close beside them. Oh, so close, it seemed they must have been actually by his side in the darkness. With the possibility of practical jokes in his mind, the shorthouse had once swung his heavy stick in that direction in the sound, but it meant nothing more solid than air. He heard his aunt give a little little gasp beside him. There's someone here, she whispered. I heard him. Yeah, be quiet, he said sternly. There's nothing but the noise of the front door. Oh, get a light quick, she added, as her nephew, fumbling with a box of matches, opened it upside down and let them fall with a rattle on the stone floor. Butterfingers. The sound, however, was not repeated, and there was no evidence of retreating footsteps. In another minute, they had a candle burning, using an empty end of the cigar case as a holder, and uh, when he first flared, died down and held the impromptu lamp aloft and surveyed the scene. It was dreary enough in all conscience, uh, for there is nothing more desolate in all the abodes of men than an unfurnished house, dimly lit, silent, and forsaken, and yet tenanted by rumor with the memories of evil and violent histories. They were standing in the wide hallway. On their left was an open door of a spacious dining room, and in the front the hall ran, uh, ever narrowing into a long, dark passage that led, apparently, to the top of the kitchen stairs. Uh, the broad, uncarpeted staircase rose in a sweep before them, everywhere draped in shadows except for a single spot about halfway up where the moonlight came in through the window and fell on the bright patch on the boards. The shaft of the light uh, shed a faint radiance above and below it, uh, lending the objects within uh, its reach a, a misty outline, uh, which was indefinitely more suggestive and ghostly than complete darkness. Uh, filtered moonlight always seems to paint faces on surrounding gloom, and a shorthouse peered up into the well of darkness and thought of the countless empty rooms and passages in the upper part of the old house. He caught himself longing again for the safety of the moonlit square, or the cozy bright drawing room they had left an hour before. Then, realizing that these thoughts were dangerous, he thrust him away again and summoned all his energy for concentration on the present. Aunt Julia, he said aloud, severely, we must now go through the house from top to bottom and make a thorough search. Why? <laughs> the echoes of his voice died away, slowly, all over the building, and in the intense silence that followed, he turned to look at her. In the candlelight, he saw that her face was already a ghastly pale. Yeah, but she dropped his arm for a moment and said in a whisper, stepping close in front of him, I agree. Uh, we must be sure there's no one hiding. Uh, that's the first thing. She spoke with evident effort and looked at her with uh, admiration. You feel quite sure of yourself. It's not too late. I think so, she whispered, her eyes shifting nervously toward the shadows behind. Quite sure. Only one thing. What's that? You must never leave me alone for an instant. As long as you understand that any sound or appearance must be investigated at once, for to hesitate means to admit fear, and that is fatal. Agreed, she said a little shakily after a moment's hesitation. I'll try. 
Arm in arm, Shorthouse holding the dripping candle and the stick while his aunt carried the cloak over her shoulders, figures of utter comedy to all but themselves, they began a systematic search, stealthily walking on tiptoe and uh, shading the candle, lest it should betray their presence through the shutterless windows. Uh, They first went into the big dining room. Uh, There was not a stick of furniture to be seen. Uh, Bare walls, ugly mantelpieces, and empty gates. Uh, greats stared at them. Everything they felt resented their intrusion, watching them, as it were, with veiled eyes. Whispers followed them. Shadows flitted noiselessly uh, to right and left. Something seemed ever at their back, watching, waiting, an opportunity to do them injury. There was the inevitable sense that operations that went on when the room was empty had been temporarily suspended till they were well out of the way again. The whole dark interior of the old building seemed to become a malignant presence that rose up, warning them to desist. I can't say that word, apparently, and mind their own business. Every moment, the strain on the nerves was increased. Out of the glittery dining room, uh, they passed through large folding doors into a sort of library or a uh, uh, smoking room, wrapped equally in silence and darkness uh, and dust. And from this, they regained the hall near the top of the back stairs. Here, a pitch-black tunnel opened before them into the lower regions, and it must be confessed they hesitated. But only for a minute, with the worst of all nights still to come, it was essential to turn from nothing. Aunt Julia stumbled at the top step of the dark descent, ill-lit by the flickering candle, and even Shorthouse felt at least a half of the decision to go on his legs. Come on, he said, peremptorily, peremptorily. I'm having another moment where I'm, uh, my brain just turned off and I cannot form a certain word. Whatever, going to move forward. And his voice ran on and lost itself in the dark, empty spaces below. I'm coming, she faltered, catching his arm with unnecessary violence. They went uh, a little unsteadily down the stone steps, uh, cold, damp air meeting them in the face, close and melodious, uh, the kitchen into which the stairs led along a narrow passage was large, with a lofty ceiling, ah, and several doors opened out of it, and some in cupboards with empty jars still standing on the shelves, and, and others into horrible little ghostly back offices, each colder and less inviting than the last. Black beetles scurried over the floor. And once, uh, when they knocked against a deal table standing in the corner, something with a, the size of a cat jumped down uh, with a rush and fled, scampering across the stone floor into the darkness. Everywhere there was a sense of recent occupation, an impression of sadness and gloom. Yeah, we get it. Leaving the main kitchen, they next went toward the scullery. Ooh, what's that? The door was standing ajar. As they pushed it open to its full extent, uh, Aunt Julia uttered a piercing scream, hmm, which she instantly tried to stifle by placing her hand over her mouth. Uh, for the second, Shorthouse stood stock still, catching his breath. He felt as if his spine had suddenly become hollow and someone had filled it with particles of ice. Facing them directly in their way between the doorposts stood the figure of a woman. Oh, she had disheveled hair and wildly staring eyes, and her face was terrified and white as death. Uh, she stood there motionless for the space of a single second, and then the candle flickered. She was gone. Gone utterly. And the door framed nothing but empty darkness. 
Uh, Only the beastly jumping candlelight, he said quickly in a voice that sounded like someone else's and was only half under control. Uh, Come on, aunt. There's nothing here. He dragged her forward. With a clattering of feet and a great appearance of boldness, they went on, but over his body the skin moved as if crawling ants covered it, and he knew by the weight on his arm that he was supplying the force of locomotion for two. The scullery, which I wish I knew what that was, was cold, bare, and empty. More like a, eh, like a prison cell than anything else. They went around it and tried the door into the yard and the windows, but found them all fastened securely. His aunt moved uh, beside him like a person in a dream, her eyes tightly shut. That's not useful. And she seemed uh, merely to follow the pressure of his arm. Her courage filled him with amazement. That's courage. And at the same time, he noticed that a certain odd change had come over her face, a change which somehow evaded his power of analysis. There's nothing here, auntie, he repeated aloud quickly. Uh, Let's go upstairs and see the rest of the house, uh, and then we'll choose a room to wait up in. She followed him obediently, keeping close to his side. And they locked the kitchen door behind them. It was a relief to get up again. In the hall, there was more light than before, for the moon had traveled a little further down the stairs. Cautiously, they began to go up into the dark vault of the upper house, the boards creaking under their weight. On the first floor, they found a large double drawing rooms, in search of which revealed nothing. Here also was no sign of furniture or recent occupancy, nothing but dust and uh, neglect and shadows. They opened the big folding doors between front and back drawing rooms and came out again to the landing and went on upstairs. They had not gone up more than a dozen steps when they both simultaneously stopped to listen. Looking into each other's eyes, oh, she opened them with a new apprehension across the flickering candle flame. From the room they had left hardly ten seconds before came the sound of doors, quietly closing. It was beyond all question. They heard the booming noise that accompanies the shutting of heavy doors, followed by sharp catching of the latch. Oh, you, you must go back and see, said Shorthouse briefly in a low tone and turned to go downstairs again. Somehow uh, she managed to drag after him, her feet catching in her dress, uh, her face livid. And they entered the front drawing room. It was plain that the folding doors had been closed half a minute before. Without hesitation, Shorthouse opened them and almost expected to see someone facing him in the back room, but only darkness and cold air met him. And they went through both rooms, finding nothing unusual, and then they tried every way to make the doors close of themselves. There was no wind enough even to set the candle flame a-flickering. The doors could not move without strong pressure, All was silent as the grave. Undeniably, the rooms were utterly empty, and the house utterly still. "'It's beginning,' whispered the aunt at his elbow, which he hardly recognized at his aunt's. He nodded in acquiescence, and taking out his watch, to note the time. It was fifteen minutes before midnight. He made the entry of exactly what had occurred in his notebook. Oh, weird. Taking the time and all this, be like, "'Hold on a sec, I gotta write this down in my notebook,' which probably takes a little while. Setting the candle on its case upon the floor in order to do so, it took a minute or two to balance it safely against the wall. Aunt Julia always declared that at this moment she was not actually watching him, but had uh, turned her head uh, toward the inner room, where she fancied she heard something moving, but at any rate both positively agreed that there came a sound of rushing feet, heavy and swift, 
and the next instant the candle was out. Nah. But to Shorthouse himself, it had come more than this. And he had always thanked his fortunate stars that it came to him, alone, and not to his aunt, too, for as she rose from the stooping position of balancing the candle, and before it was actually extinguished, a face thrust itself forward so close to his own that he could almost have touched it, touched it with his lips. It was a face working with passion. A man's face, dark and thick features, and angry, ooh, savage eyes. It belonged to a common man. Oh, so breeding, you can tell if it's a common. Eh, it was evil in its ordinary, normal expression, no doubt. But as he saw it alive with intense, aggressive emotion, it was a malignant and terrible human countenance. Now ah, there's no movement of the air, nothing but the sound of rushing feet, stocked and muffled feet, the apparition of the face, and almost simultaneously extinguishing of the candle. In spite of himself, Shorthouse uttered a little cry, and nearly losing his balance as his aunt clung to him with her whole weight in one moment of real, uncontrollable terror, uh, she made no sound but simply seized him bodily. Fortunately, however, uh, she had seen nothing, but had only heard the rushing feet, for her control returned almost at once and he was able to disentangle himself and strike a match. The shadows ran away on all sides before the glare, and his aunt stooped down and groped for the cigar case uh, with the precious candle. Uh, Then they discovered that the candle had not been blown in italics out at all, but had been crushed in all italics out. The wick was pressed down into the wax, which was flattened as if by some smooth, heavy instrument. How his companion so quickly overcame her terror... Shorthouse never promptly understood, but his admiration for her self-control increased tenfold, and at the same time uh, served to feed his own dying flame, for which he was inevitably grateful. Equally inexplicable to him was the evidence of physical force they had just witnessed. Uh, He at once suppressed the memory of stories he had heard of physical mediums. Eh, dangerous phenomenon, for if it were true and either his aunt or himself was unwittingly a physical medium, it meant that they were simply aiding to focus the forces of a haunted house already charged to the brim. It was like walking uh, with unprotected lamps among uncovered stores of gunpowder. So, with as little reflection as possible, he simply relit the candle and went up the next floor. The arm in his tremble is true, his own tread is often uncertain, but they went on with thoroughness. And after a search, revealing nothing, they climbed the last flight of stairs to the top floor of all. Here they found a perfect nest of small servants' rooms with broken pieces of furniture, dirty cane-bottomed chairs, chests of drawers, crack mirrors, decrepit bedsteads. The rooms had now sloping ceilings, had already hung here and there with cobwebs. I thought people were just living in this house recently, like three months prior and badly plastered walls, a depressing and dismal region, which uh, they were glad to leave behind. It was on the stroke of midnight when they entered a small room on the third floor, close to the top of the stairs, and arranged to make themselves comfortable for the remainder of their adventure. It was absolutely bare, and he said to be the room, and was said to be the room, huh, then used as a closed closet, into which the Infuriated gloom had chased his victim and finally caught her. Outside, across the narrow landing, began the stairs leading up to the floor above and the servants' quarters where they had just searched. In spite of the chilliness of the night, eh, there was something in the air room that 
cried out for an open window. But there was nothing uh, more than this. Shorthouse could only describe it by saying that he felt less master of himself here than any other part of the house. There was uh, something that acted directly on his nerves, tiring the resolution and feebling the will. Uh, He was conscious of the result before he had been in the room five minutes, and it was in the short time that they stayed there that he suffered the wholesale depletion of his vital forces, which was for himself the chief horror of the whole experience. Uh, They put the can on the floor of the cupboard, uh, leaving the door a few inches ajar, so that there was uh, no glare to confuse the eyes and no shadow to shift about on the walls and the ceiling. Then they spread the cloak on the floor and sat down to wait with their backs against the wall. Shorthouse uh, was within two feet of the door into the landing. His position commanded a good view of the main staircase leading down the darkness, and also of the beginning of the servant's stairs going to the floor above. The heavy stick lay beside him within easy reach. Uh, the moon was now high above the house, though the open window uh, they could see uh, com- comforting stars like friendly eyes watching in the sky. One by one, the clocks of the town struck midnight. Oh, so they're not all perfectly timed. That's unfortunate. And when the sounds died away, the deep silence of the windless night fell again over everything. Only the boom of the sea. Far away, Liburius, it's happening to me again, filled the air with hollow murmurs. Inside the house, the silence became awful. Awful, he thought. Because any minute now, it might be broken by sounds portending terror. The strain of waiting told more and more severely on the nerves, and they talked in whispers when they talked at all, for their voices aloud sounded queer and unnatural. A chilliness, not altogether due for the night air, invaded the room and made them cold. The influences against them, whatever these might be, were slowly robbing them of self-confidence. And the power of decisive action, uh, their forces, were on the wane. And the possibility of a a real fear took over a new and terrible meaning. Uh, He began to tremble for the elderly woman by his side, whose pluck could be hardly save her beyond her certain extent, He heard the blood singing in his veins. Oh, it sometimes appeared so loud that he fancied it prevented his hearing uh, properly certain other sounds that were beginning to faintly make themselves audible in the depths of the house. Oh, every time he fastened his attention on these sounds, they instantly ceased. Uh, They certainly came no nearer, uh, yet he could not rid himself of the idea that movement was going on somewhere in the lower regions of the house. The drawing room floor, where the doors had so strangely closed, uh, seemed too near. The sounds were further off than that. He thought of the, the great kitchen with the scurrying black beetles and of the uh, dismal little scullery, which I still don't know what that is, but somehow or other they did not seem to come from there either. Surely they were not outside the house. Then suddenly the truth flashed into his mind, and for a space of a minute he felt as if his blood had stopped flowing and turned to ice. The sounds were not downstairs at all. They were upstairs. Upstairs! Somewhere among those horrid, gloomy little servants' rooms with their bits of broken furniture and low ceilings and cramped windows. Upstairs, where the victim had first been disturbed and stalked to her death. And the moment he discovered the sounds were, as he began to hear them more clearly, it was the sound of feet moving stealthily along the passage overhead, in and out of the rooms, and past the furniture. 
He turned quickly to steal a glance at motionless figure sitting beside him to know whether she had shared this discovery. The faint candlelight coming through the crack in the cupboard door uh, threw her strongly marked face into vivid relief against the white of the wall. But it was something else that made him catch his breath and stare again. An extraordinary something had come into her face and seemed to spread over her features like a mask. It smoothed out the deep lines and drew the skin everywhere a little tighter so that the wrinkles disappeared. It brought into the face with the sole exception of the old eyes an appearance of youth and almost of childhood. He stared speechless in amazement, amazement that was dangerously near to horror. It was his aunt's face indeed, but it was her face of 40 years ago, the vacant, innocent face of a girl. He had, what is happening right now? He had heard stories of the strange effect of terror which could wipe a human countenance clean of other emotions, obliterating all previous expressions. But he had never realized that it could literally be true or could mean anything so simply horrible as what he saw now, for the dreadful signature of overmastering fear was simply plainly in that utter vacancy of the girlish face beside him. And when, feeling the intense gaze, eh, she turned to look at him, he instinctively closed his eyes to shut out the sight. Yet when he turned a minute later, his feelings well in hand, he saw to his intense relief ah, another expression his aunt was smiling. Ah, though the face was deathly white, eh, the awful veil had lifted and the normal look was returning. Anything wrong? Was all he could think to say. Oh, I thought it was her. At the moment, and the answer was eloquent, coming from such a woman. Uh, I feel cold. Uh, a little frightened, she whispered. Oh, he offered to close the window. But she seized hold of him and begged him not to leave her side even for an instant. It's upstairs, I know, she whispered with an odd half laugh. But I can't possibly go up. But Shorthouse thought otherwise, knowing that in action lay their best hope of self-control. Uh, he took the brandy flask and poured out a glass of spirit, uh, stiff enough to help anybody over anything, as she swallowed it with a little shiver. His only idea now was to get out of the house before her collapse became inevitable. But this could not be safely done by turning tail and running from the enemy. In action was no longer possible. Every minute was growing less master of himself, and desperate aggressive measures were imperative without further delay. Moreover, the action must be taken toward the enemy, not away. Uh, the climax, if necessary, is, is unavoidable. It uh, would have to be faced boldly, and he could do it now. But in ten minutes, he might not have the force left to act for himself, much less for both exclamation point upstairs oh the sounds were meanwhile becoming louder and closer accompanied by occasional creaking of the boards someone is moving uh, stealthily about uh, stumbling now and then awkwardly against furniture uh, waiting a few minutes to allow the tremendous dose of spirits to produce its effect and knowing that this would last but a short time under the circumstances Shorthouse then quietly got on his feet saying in a determined voice uh, now, Aunt Julia, now we'll go upstairs and find out what all this noise is about, and you must come, too. It is what we agreed. He picked up a stick and went to the cupboard for the candle. A limp form rose shakily beside him, breathing hard. And he heard a voice say very faintly something about being ready to come. 
The woman's courage amazed him. It was so much greater than his own, and as they advanced, holding aloft the dripping candle, some subtle force exhaled from his trembling, white-faced old woman at the side uh, that was the true source of the inspiration. It held something really great that, that shamed him and gave him the support without much he would have proved far less equal to the occasion. They crossed the long, uh, dark landing, avoiding with their eyes the black space over the banisters, uh, when they began to mount the narrow staircase to meet the sounds which minute by minute grew louder and nearer, about halfway up the stairs, uh, Aunt Julia stumbled and Shorthouse turned to catch her by the arm. It was just at that moment there came a terrific crash in the servant's corridor overhead. It was instantly followed by a shrill, agonized scream. It was the cry of terror and a cry for help melted into one. Before they could move aside or go down a single step, Someone came rushing along the passage overhead, blundering horribly, racing madly at full speed, three steps at a time, down every stair, the very staircase where they stood. The steps were light and uncertain, but close behind them sounded the heavier tread of another person, and the staircase seemed to shake. Shorthouse and his companion uh, just had the time to flatten themselves against the wall when the jumble of flying steps was upon them. The two persons, with the slightest possible interval between them, dashed past at full speed. It was a perfect whirlwind of sound breaking in upon the midnight silence of the empty building. The two runners, pursuer and pursued, had passed clean through them where they stood, and already the thud, the boards below, had received first one, then another, yet they had seen absolutely nothing, not a hand or an arm or a face or even a shred of flying clothing. There came a second pause, and the first one, the lighter of the two, obviously, the pursued one, ran with uncertain steps into the little room which Shorthouse and his aunt had just left. The heavier one uh, followed. There's a sound of scuffling, gasping, and smothered screaming, and then out onto the landing came the step of a single person, treading weightily. A dead silence followed across the space of half a minute, and then was heard a rushing sound through the air. It was followed by a dull crashing thud in the depths of the house, uh, below in the stone floor of the hall. Utter silence reigned after. Nothing moved. The flame of the candle was steadily uh, steady. It had been steady the whole time, and the air had been undisturbed by any movement whatsoever. Palsy with terror, Aunt Julia, without waiting for her companion, began fumbling her way downstairs. Oh, she was crying gently to herself, and when Shorthouse put his arm around her uh, and half carried her, uh, he felt that he was trembling uh, like a leaf. He went into the room and picked up the cloak from the floor, and arm in arm, walking very slowly without speaking a word or looking once behind them, they marched down the three flights into the hall. In the hall, they saw nothing. At the whole way down the stairs, they were conscious that someone followed them step by step. When they went faster, IT, in all caps, was left behind. And when they went more slowly, IT, in all caps, caught them up. But never once did they look behind to see, and at each turning of the staircase they lowered their eyes for fear of the falling horror they might see upon the stairs above. With trembling hands, Shorthouse opened the front door, and they walked out into the moonlight and drew a deep breath of the cool night air blowing in from the sea.
Oh, that was good. Didn't you think that was good? Uh, I thought it was good. It was, uh, like all things written of this time period, pretty wordy. But still, it stuck to the point. It wasn't like the other one I read where they had the haunted house experience and then spent an equal amount of time talking about uh, some sort of theory about some kind of hypnotist casting a spell and they have to take apart the house and all this silliness. Nope, this is just a guy coming in from out of town and him and his aunt go into a haunted house and they see a scary thing and then they leave. End of story. Oh, Algernon Blackwood, you've done it again. So that was good. Ah, finally, a good Halloween story. I looked up what a scullery is. Uh, It's a room in a house traditionally used for washing up dishes and laundering clothes as an overflow kitchen. Uh, Cleaning dishes, cooking utensils, restoring them. So kitchen work, ironing, boiling. Eh, It's kind of like your labor house. Though scullery uh, from Urban Dictionary is when you receive a BJ from a woman who's got a big head. (laughs) So (laughs) eh, pretty disturbing, but there you go. Well, that was, uh, that was a delightful little story, and uh, I think I'm done in the meantime. And so, when my kids are gone, it's back to my Halloween onslaught. So, thanks for listening, and I will see you in the next episode. <laughs>